I was to give today's study a title, I'd probably call it Wonder Woman. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. I'm not saying anything about the movie, but man, this lady is one of the most amazing women in the entire Bible. Look what we read in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It says, After two days it was the Passover, and the feast of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him that's speaking of Jesus, by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could, and you might want to circle that. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And so it's the Tuesday before the crucifixion. We call this week Passion Week. A couple of days. Notice it says in verse 1, if you would look there again, two days, after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So a couple of days is about to happen, right? Now, it's important to know the backdrop. You know, you're going to have to see this study today as, uh, you know, when I look out at you guys, I'm, I'm just confident that you're going to be good. My prayer over you, my, my thoughts towards you, Lord, they're going to be victorious. You know, but when we go through the study today, we're going to see that in the, in the backdrop of the cross, not everyone was but you will be. That's my prayer for you. But you know, in, when, when Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, the devil's doing his thing, you know, trying to bring people in the wrong direction. And, and so, you know, we're getting this all set up. And so it's heading towards Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, you got to know what those holidays, what those feast days symbolize. You go back to Acts chapter 12, and you get the background to what those holidays were all about. And in a nutshell, what it was, was uh, the Jews were commanded to kill a lamb, just to kill a lamb, take the blood, put it on the doors, so that when the angel of death came to their house, if they saw the blood applied to their house, the angel would pass over. That was the final blow that was delivered to Pharaoh to defeat the enemy. That was the final plague given to God's people to set them free. 
Now today, a lot of people like to go to Passover dinners, and that's cool, Seder dinners, right? And this, it's a great thing, but you know, they've added a lot of things to it that in all reality are not purely biblical. They're very symbolic, very beautiful, it's very cool for the Jews, but it's not, at the end of the day, all it was was the blood. Get the blood, put it on the door. That's what the Passover was. And then it was followed by a seven-day feast, unleavened bread. And, you know, I was thinking about this. The Jews knew how to party, huh? I mean, they knew how to, not, not getting drunk, not getting high, but, man, seven days of feasting. Why don't we do that, man? <laughs> you know, I'm going to talk to Jesse. Where's Jesse? I don't know if he's here yet, but when we do the VBS, I think that everybody should take seven days off, and we're going to have a seven-day uh, feast, man. Now, the only thing that you couldn't eat was bread that was leavened, and leaven is symbolic of sin, and uh, it, was a, it was a, all that right there is a picture of Jesus Christ and the Christian. Jesus Christ and the Christian. You know, you take his cross and you take his blood and you put it on your life. You know, it's not enough that Jesus died. You know, he died for everybody. Does that mean everybody's going to heaven? No, you got to get the blood. You got to receive Christ. You got to repent of your sins and receive him as the Lord and Savior of your life. When you do that, the blood's on your life. So when the angel of death passes before you, when you stand before God, the great judge, he will pass over you. You'll be free. You'll be in heaven. And then as a Christian, from that point forward, get rid of the leaven. You know what they would do, the Jews would do during this holiday? They would search their whole house. Cupboards, the kids, they would set them free, and they'd say, okay, you go and you know, search every nook and cranny, make sure there's no leaven whatsoever in our home. And that's symbolic of, of sin. And so for us, it's so cool. Jesus is our Passover lamb. You know, we have this passage over in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. It puts it all together. It says, therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. And now that's interesting. You know, you're forgiven. You're free. You're perfect. You're without sin because of your faith in Christ. It says right there, you are unleavened. So that's a positional righteousness, but now he says, purge the rest out. Purge it out, right? He says, for indeed Christ, notice our Passover was sacrificed for us. And he's what it's all about. Those holidays, those feast days, they were just shadows of the substance. And so with that as a backdrop, we got to know that Jesus was destined to die on the Passover. It was a holiday symbolic of him. You know, you guys remember, he's a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John said. And even though the religious leaders did not want to kill him on the Passover, the, the Bible says that that's what he was all about. So he was destined to die on that day. Look again at, at verse 2. It says, but they said, not during the feast. But God said, yes, during the feast, huh? Because it was symbolic of him, right? They were planning on killing Jesus in another time, but the Lord had the final word. And so in the backdrop of this whole thing, as God is working such a glorious salvation for us, there's a battle going on. 
And so let me share, first of all, some words of caution, and then we're going to see at the end of the day, hopefully we'll be able to spend more time on the positive. But first, the negative. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write down this first word, which is devious. Devious. The religious leaders of the day hated Christ. And so we read in verse 1 that they saw how they might take him, notice, by trickery and put him to death. And so, you know, they were devious. I can't help but think of the word devil linked to the word devious. And what it means is a skillful use of underhanded tactics to achieve goals. They wanted to take him by trickery and deception. And they wanted him dead. Uh, and when we look at that, it's just full-on, straight-out devious. It's, it's, it's sad because these are supposed to be the good guys of the day, the religious leaders. Matthew tells us this, that even when they were strategizing, guess where they met? They met at the house of the high priest. How are we going to kill him? How can we, by trickery, kill him? And then they were devious, having been deceived by the devil. Here's the thing that I want to share with you. And again, my confidence is that you will be good. Paul said that to the Galatians. I'm saying that over your life. But man, we live in a world. Don't let the devil deceive you. Whatever you do, beware of the strategies of Satan. I mean, these guys were trying to trick others because they themselves had been tricked by the devil. I don't need Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I mean, he could die for all I care. Give me the hammer. I'll nail him to the cross. That was their mentality. And the dictionary defines devious as showing a skillful use of underhanded tactics to achieve goals. You don't got to go to church today, as a matter of fact. You know, um, and, and I see all the different options of different things you can do on a Sunday or whatever it is that God's calling you to do. And he presents options, and next thing you know, it begins to compromise, and he waters things down. And next thing you know, we see people, you know, that at one time, who knows? I don't know for sure, but maybe at one time, these religious leaders had good motives. But somewhere along the line, they got caught in that. Me, as a pastor, I have to constantly realign my focus. Manny, why do you do what you do? Is it because you like to teach? That's not right. Do you love the people? Do you know who you're doing this for? Jesus Christ. And you never forget, because even those guys that pastors, whatever, big churches, big ministries, they can get lost in all those things. And who knows, maybe that's what happened to these religious leaders. The next thing you know, they build up this system, they built up this, this following, and they didn't like the fact that when Messiah came, they left them and followed Jesus. I mean, wait a minute, isn't that what it's all about? What did John the Baptist say? He must increase, I must increase, decrease. And he pointed them to Jesus. So beware of the devious. The second thing in our count is beware of the covetous. Look again, if you would, at verse 4. But there were some who were indignant. When this woman poured the valuable fragrant perfume on Jesus, they were indignant. They were furious. They were angry among themselves. And they said, why was this fragrant oil wasted 
for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. According to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 4, it was Judas who led this complaint. And it wasn't that he cared for the poor. It says that he was stealing from the money box. And Judas then spoke up and protested. He filed a complaint, and then all the other disciples followed after. You know, this can happen in life. At the end of the day, it's all about the almighty dollar. It's all about money and what money can buy. And there are so many who worship at that altar. And that's where Judas was. Rather than worshiping Jesus Christ, he worshiped money. You know, and what we see for Judas, that's where it was. He was waiting for the day to cash in. He had already been taken from the money box. It says in John 12, 6, he had his eyes on that prize too. The valuable perfume, it was, it was worth, it says, 300 denarii. So a denarii was what you would earn in a day. And so everybody here, you know, I don't know the working man's wage, but when you take weekends and days off and things and you factor it all in, it was about a year's wages, so I don't know, forty, fifty thousand dollars And with that money, you guys uh, know how it works. He'd make more money because it takes money uh, to make money. And then Judas had a plan. He was thinking he can get a nice pad by the Sea of Galilee, maybe, you know, or maybe even better, I'll move to Egypt, man, and get some nice uh, wheels, a brand new chariot, good threads, and, and girls, and gold. And he had it all planned out. And what ended up happening is he got caught in his covetousness. You know, he, he, for him, it was all about the money. And when that didn't work out, you guys know what happens. He sold out, and then he went, and he traded it all in for 30 pieces of silver. And now he's in hell forever, regretting the stupid decision that he made to worship money. What a tragedy. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. Take heed means open your eyes, beware of it, for one's life does not consist in the things, in the abundance of the things that he possesses. We, a lot of times we define our life by those things. And that's what determines our decisions, rather than just following the Lord. And again, you know, we have to have a healthy view. Don't misunderstand. There's nothing inherently or intrinsically wrong with money. Nothing wrong with having money. But there is something wrong when money has you. Because you might do what Judas did. And it blinded him to the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was right there all along. You know, when you don't have to, but you choose to work on a Sunday rather than going to church service or overtime, rather than maybe following through with ministry responsibilities. When you don't give to God what belongs to God, Malachi 3.8 talks about people who rob God of tithes and offerings. You know, it's been said that if you hold a penny close enough to your eye, it'll block the sun. And if we're not careful in that area, we'll follow Judas and not Jesus and we might even betray him. And so these are things that we got to deal with, especially here in the United States of America. You know, the devil is there to deceive. Beware of the devious. We live in 
this country, which is so covetous, beware of that. In Matthew 13, 22, it says, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now when I read that verse, I know there's different opinions on that, but some say it's not a Christian. I look at it and I think, I kind of think maybe it is a Christian. But they just don't bear the fruit of morality and ministry that they should. Why? Because they were caught up in covetousness. You know, all these things, they kind of build on each other. The, the devious leads to the covetous, and then, then that leads to the scandalous. If you're taking notes, as long as it rhymes, remember that, okay? <laughs> Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, he went to the chief priests to betray him to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. Remember, because earlier they were trying to figure out how they going to do this, right? And he promised to give him money, and so he sought how he might conveniently betray him. You know, a scandal takes place, the word scandal, it takes place when there's an offense against morality followed by a public outcry. Now, when we look at what Judas did, when that's scandalous, I mean, an offense against morality, and now the response is a public outcry of wrongdoing. That's what a scandal is. That's what this is. The Jewish leaders are trying to plot and plan how they might find and arrest Jesus. They're going to do it under the radar, and they didn't know how. And so, you know, he wind walks Judas, covetous, devious, and then eventually scandalous. Judas would later lead the enemies to the disciples, their special spot. You know, this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, was given to Jesus by someone who was a friend of him, and they would have these opportunities to go and to get away from everyone else. It was a secret place. So Judas said, I know. I know where we can get him. And he was the ringleader of the rebellion. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. I'll do it in a convenient way. And, and what happens is the private sins eventually become public sins and the scandal begins unless you repent. You know, if there's any of this in any of us, God help us to let it go. God help us. And we were singing this earlier, and I don't know if people are really knowing what they're singing when they sing to God that they surrender. I mean, do you really surrender? Do you surrender everything to him? Do you really surrender your will to his? At the end of the day, that's what repentance really is. I'm not holding on to anything that I shouldn't. You know, later Judas would regret what he did, but he did not repent of his actions. He threw the money down, went out, and hung himself. Even he knew it was scandalous. You know, it's interesting that the word translated waste in Mark 14.4, notice again, but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why, why was this fragrant oil wasted? The same Greek word over in the Gospel of John is translated perdition. It's a description of Judas, the son of perdition. What it means, it was, it was, it was a man who wasted his life. 
God said, I have so much for you. I had a calling on your life. You walked with me for three and a half years. You saw what I did, the love, all of this. But because it didn't line up with your will, you wasted your life. And that's why we have to protect ourselves against these things. Like I said earlier, I'm saying this to you guys and because I'm confident that God's going to use this to bring us to that point, point of absolute surrender. You know, there's always a shudder of the heart when we think of Judas, huh? Dante, uh, if you guys get a chance, read his book, Dante's Inferno. It's all about hell. It's this crazy. But he sets him in the lower of all hells, a hell of cold and ice, a hell designed for those who were not hot sinners swept away by angry passions, but cold, calculating, deliberate offenders against the love of God. You know, when you look at this, uh, the devious, the covetous, the scandalous, that was Judas, but what were the disciples doing? Here's another word for, for them, oblivious. Okay, I'm going to use that word, oblivious. You know, where you're not aware or even concerned about what's really happening around you, and that can happen, huh? I mean, you're not sensitive to what God's doing, you're not sensitive to what the devil's doing. You know, you don't, we don't realize, we forget, we live, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so, you know, blessed is that person who's, who's discerning what God is doing, who's discerning what the devil is doing. You're not oblivious to these things, because what was going on in front of them was an absolute, amazing, I mean, almost unparalleled act of worship. And they did not have a clue Right in front of their eyes was the epitome of evil, Judas. They did not even have a clue. They were completely oblivious. And that describes the disciples. Even though they're in the vicinity, they weren't listening to their Lord, who told them three times as clear as day that he was going to die. They were blind to the cross and to the beauty of this woman from Bethany was doing right in front of them. Even to Judas, the son of perdition. They even joined on the Judas bandwagon, criticizing this woman, scolding her, saying she shouldn't waste such value perfume like that. Was it a waste? That she was anointing the body of Christ before his death? And who knows? I don't know if you guys ever think about this, but I, sometimes I just think it through. Like, you know, pouring this expensive perfume on. How many of you here wear perfume, ladies? Okay, not everybody. I wear, I usually put stuff on, to be honest with you. You know, and I don't know for sure why, what makes some perfumes more expensive than others. Maybe it's the way it smells. Huh. Or maybe it's the way that it lasts. Like you can put a little bit on and it lasts you like, you know, three days or something. I don't know. You know? <laughs> but um, I was just thinking as she poured the perfume, we're going to see over his head and then just over his entire body and down to his feet. And she's wiping his feet with the perfume and the glory of her hair. I don't know for sure, but I was, I was thinking that when Jesus was arrested and beaten and went through everything that he went through, I'll bet you almost anything, he could still smell the perfume. 
that had been poured on his body. And he kept them going because he knew the day would come when people would really worship God. You know, when you look at this woman, she really is an amazing woman. We, we close with this last word. You know, first devious, then covetous, scandalous. Beware of those things. Beware of the disciples' activity, oblivious. Open your eyes. But then learn from this lady who I would describe as glorious. Just glorious. Look what she does. Verse 3, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. Here's the guy that Jesus healed. Obviously, he's still not a leper, but he's called that as a reminder of his, where he come from. As he sat at the table that a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil, a spikenard, and then she broke the flask and she just poured it on his head. You know, usually when you, uh, you guys know how it is, they have some bottles where you put it over and it'll, it'll just drop drops because that's all you need, right? But, but she just didn't want to drop drops. Uh, she broke it. So she just pour it all over her Lord and give it all to him. Just give it all to him. Now when you harmonize the Gospels, you find that this is Mary of Bethany and, and she not only poured this costly oil over Jesus' head, but also on his feet. And she wiped them with her hair. The woman's glory is her hair. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 15. And so we read in John 12, verse 3, that Mary took a pound of the very costly oil of spikenard, anointing the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled. I love this. It was filled with the fragrance of the oil. That's what happens when people really worship. Man, everybody, it just, it just captures the heart. Everybody senses it. There's something genuine going on here. What's Mary doing? She's worshiping. She's worshiping. And that has a lot of elements to it. Number one, it's very practical. She's anointing the body of Jesus for his burial. And what we find is that apparently Mary was the only one who had a clear understanding of what Jesus was about to do, to die. She was the only one that was really listening. Remember the Lord has said, I'm going to die on a cross. And they were like, just went one ear out the other, man. They did not understand the cross. She did. She knew he was about to die. She probably didn't know all the details about it, but she knew Jesus enough to know that it would be sacrificial and it would be meritorious. And she just knew and then she's sensitive to the Holy Spirit who probably, you know, said to her, whispered into her ear, anoint him with oil, prepare him for his burial. I mean, that's where, where, when it comes to worship, that's how we need to be. It was, number one, practical. Number two, it was beautiful. She also was doing a very beautiful thing. If you have an NIV, that's exactly how it translated. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, and it's beautiful in that as she anoints Jesus, she worships him. And then thirdly, it was very sacrificial what she was doing. You know, some people want to give to God the leftovers. They do not want to make any sacrifices. Well, let me just tell you this. That is not worship. 
David said, it'll cost me. And it cost her big time. Uh, according to most sources, the alabaster fast, flask, it was made of semi-transparent stone, which was used as a container for precious perfumes and ointments. And the spikenard was from a plant found in the Himalayan mountains. It was very difficult to get, very expensive. I already mentioned to you that that perfume was somewhere between forty to fifty thousand dollars in modern day currency. And you guys know perfume can be expensive, right? Even today, how many of you here have expensive perfume? <laughs> I was reading about one perfume, and I've mentioned to you before. It's called Clive Christian's Imperial Majesty. Have you ever guys ever seen that? We have a picture, I think we do, I'm not sure. Do we have? Maybe not. Well, anyways, um, it's $215,000 for the bottle. And Henry is going to take sign-ups afterwards for anybody who, <laughs> who wants to buy one. But, you know, I mean, I'm just saying perfume can be expensive, right? And so, you know, imagine what would you do with $215,000. Oh, I know what I want to do. You know, I, I got, you know, whatever, plans. But then the Lord said, give it to me. That's what she did. Right? I mean, it was an absolute act of sacrificial devotion. You know, one other thing that's so, ah, it's so heavy, is that, this may even have been saved as a dowry. Now, you know, in those days, and even today in different cultures, you know, the, the groom, he pays the, the bride's family for the bride, but there's also reciprocal action in which the bride actually gives what's called a dowry. Whoever marries my daughter, they're going to get this, you know, great gift of whatever it is is transferred over to the groom's family as well. And in many ways, they say that that would, in one sense, secure her marriage. So it's almost as if she's saying, I'm willing to you know, not be married. I, I give it away. I give it to God. He's my husband. He's my groom. He's my maker. I'm okay with that. You know, Usually when you do stuff like that, you can't outgive God. And I have a feeling that more than likely Mary of Bethany was married. We don't believe in, you know, celibacy. But what we, what we see in looking at this is that just laying it all down. Do we really do that today? You know, when I think of this, I think of just worship, real worship. What is that? Does that mean that today you're going to go buy that $215,000 perfume and you're going to pour it over your husband's head? You're like, no way, you know? I mean, is that what we do? She did what she could. She did what she should. What about you? Real worship. Real worship. What's well, when I sing? Sing, singing is an act of worship, but, but that's not really, it, it's not, that's not it. I mean, Romans 12, it gives us that, that great passage, I think, that encapsulates what real worship is. 
Paul says, I beg you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your rational act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And what that's saying is that because of the cross, she saw it in front, we see it behind. It's the same cross where he died for us. And we look at that cross and we say, therefore, since we're saved by that cross, we will present our bodies as a living sacrifice. God, I give you my life. From head to toe, it's all yours. I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I'm not going to be you know, caught up in what the world tells me to do. But I will find out what your will is and do it. That's worship. That is worship. And for all of us here, we have to get with God and we have to find out what it really is. You know, the Lord said to the end of time, what this woman has done, everybody's going to hear about it. Why? Why did he say that? Why did he say that everybody, we're going to talk about this till the end of time? I mean, Part of it is a memorial to her. I, I want, I, I just, for her, I think that's beautiful. Just her, what she's done is amazing. But part of it is for us, right? That we would do the same. And I don't know what it is that God's calling you to do, but I know He's calling you. And there's only one way to find out the divine details. You've got to ask him. And he will only tell you if you're willing to follow through. Real quick, Mary of Bethany, or Wonder Woman, however you want to say it. <laughs> this is a real Wonder Woman, man. Uh, whenever you see her in the Bible, I'm going to say this. Do you guys know this? You probably already know this. Where will you find her? At the feet of Jesus, right? At the feet of Jesus. When you read Luke chapter 10 and verse 39, it says she sat at his feet and she heard his word. That's where we belong. When you read John eleven thirty-two, 32, when her brother died, she was there and she fell down at his feet. And so when you're going through hard times, you go to him, right? You're in the word. You're there weeping. And then the third time is here in worship. That's how she knew what she was called to do, always at the feet of Jesus. And so if you're at the feet of Jesus, then you will not be defeated by the enemy, remember that. <laughs> and let me add one more word to this list that we went over today, you know, looking at the way the devil works, but he's not going to get you. I am confident of greater things for you, but make sure you are, you know, you're on guard. Devious, which can lead to the covetous, which leads to the scandalous. 
make sure you're not living a life that's oblivious, but rather like this woman, glorious. Because if you do, guess what happens? You will be victorious.